0: hello everyone and welcome to another episode of artificial talk i'm your host tristan and with me today i have my co-host patrick all right and we have a slew of just I, i don't know if they're fun topics i think they're more like they're sort of just uh intense topics i guess well some of them some of them are intense some of them are normal let's just jump into it yeah there's just a lot happening. So let's get started, I think, with the news of the week that everyone has been hearing about, and that's that the Colonial Pipeline got hacked, and then ransomware took over their systems. Oh boy. So, (laughs) let's lay lay some groundwork out here. Now, if you don't know what Colonial Pipeline is, I don't blame you. My understanding is that they provide about 45% of all the gas on the East Coast, though. So, kind of big. And... They aren't really saying what happened. They haven't really gone into detail of what got exploited or what vulnerabilities existed that were used to actually get into their systems. But what we do know is that ransomware, somewhere in their system, took it offline. If you don't know what ransomware is, in this case, I, I, it was uh, encryption, I believe. So it had just encrypted a bunch of their computers and they couldn't use them and for gas like sending gas across pipelines that could be potentially dangerous so they shut down for about a week or so and people started filling their trucks and cars up with gas and then using water tanks to hold gas which don't do that please i mean they were also using plastic bags which also do not do that
1: that is like even worse than a water tank which is also still really bad
0: the reason you shouldn't use those is not because the gas will dissolve them or destroy them or anything. But the problem is, uh, if you think about it, one open, like just one open flame ignites that. And if you have like six of these in the back of your car, it's going to explode. I'm just going to be straight with you. It's going to explode and it's going to cause a lot of issues to be to be nice about it.
1: And I think with the plastic bags, there's also an issue with fumes because it's not airtight. That's so true. Like- Please don't do that.
0: So by the time you're listening to this, that whole issue should have been solved. Colonial Pipeline is open now. And the way they're open is they actually ended up paying the $5 million uh ransom to actually unlock their systems. Okay. So let's start sort of from the beginning here and just talk about what probably happened. Uh we it's going to be a little bit of speculation, but I think we can make some pretty good guesses at what happened. Most likely, they had a system that was old, compromised, somewhere in between, not updated, or it was using a, you know, system that just simply was not secure. That was found and exploited. This ransomware was probably uploaded to the system and then like a virus, similar to something like COVID, it spread across our systems and shut a bunch of stuff down. So, if you were in the position of Colonial Pipeline, though, what, what what's your what's your move now, though? Everything shut down. What's the, yeah, what's the like,
2: move?
1: Like, you don't really have an option. You, you kind of have to try to pay them to get through computers unencrypted, even though, you know, like that's not ideal it's also not like you can like get that off of your system without force
0: wiping everything right i mean if you have like mission critical systems and you have to shut them down like even for a few minutes like the thing is what's crazy about something like this is The sort of the scale that Colonial Pipeline is. And I imagine, here's the thing, here's the thing. All these companies that are like this, whether it be Colonial uh, Pipeline, whether it be medical, whether it be banking, they all have these super old systems in their networks, right? Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. And,
0: And their solution oftentimes is we just isolated that one system from the rest of our network and everything is safe now. Except for the fact this old system that's in there is in there for a reason. And oftentimes there is, you know, some way to access it to the rest of the network. And then that gets exploited and then it just spreads from there. Like it's one of those things of somewhere along the line, there was a weak link in the chain and that weak link was how somebody got in and broke it. Mm -hmm. I guess the question is though, how do you fix that for not just this industry, but every industry that says our systems are are mission critical and we can't afford for them to be down at any point in time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What's the move to update that? Do you say we're going to shut down for like a few hours so we can update everything? I mean, for medical, that might not even be possible. If you've got a patient that is in critical condition, do you shut everything down for a few hours? Uh, you might not have a patient anymore. True. It's one of those things I feel like it does need to be approached and dealt with, but we are still kind of in that age where everyone kind of still uses the same passwords for everything.
2: Yeah.
0: And I'm not saying that that's – actually, I will say, it is wrong. You should not be using your same password for everywhere. But I also understand thinking of if I have one really good password and I just use it everywhere, it'll be fine. Or even a really bad password, because I don't care about these accounts. They get hacked or whatever, and it'll be fine. But I feel like, especially when you run into an issue like this, where it it goes up in scale. It doesn't go down in scale, is the problem. Mm -hmm. So, and what's really interesting about something like this is DarkSide, which was the group who who actually developed the ransomware. And I, I believe also kind of acts as the broker, like, they receive the money and then they distribute it to the the people that actually paid them for the ransomware to use against their target. That's my understanding of it. They actually went dark after uh, the Biden administration kind of put a lot of pressure on them. Now, at first there was speculation that maybe uh, the U.S. government actually did lay into them, got a hold of their servers, got a hold of their, their Bitcoin setup, basically just wiped them off the map, right? Yeah. There's also a lot of speculation. I, I, I guess this is common for these ransomware groups is that they will go offline in order to lower the heat on them. Mm. Seems to be. That's so, awesome right. And what, it's really interesting. Uh, so I, I'm curious, Patrick. When you mm-hmm. look at one of these like ransomware companies, like or, or companies or organizations, individuals, whatever you want to call them, Do you consider something like this a business?
1: Not really, no. No, okay. Well it's a business in the Mm -hmm. sense that it makes money, but I don't really consider it a legitimate business because well they're not doing business things, I guess, for lack of a better term. There's no creation and selling. It is just
0: stealing. So that's what's interesting about this group, like DarkSide as an example. DarkSide itself actually doesn't go around breaching companies. Mm-hmm. What, what, hap- what happens is a client comes to them and says, hey, I want to, you know, I need to, I want to get into the system and I want to make money. Can you make ransomware for me that will specifically do it for this company? For this amount of money, all that sort of thing. And their stance, kind of an interesting stance, whether you believe in it or not i'm going to say most people are going to probably say no that's still terrible and i agree what they do is they basically make a service creating ransomware not saying that's good or bad i mean it is obviously bad but that is sort of the it it, this is like a, a million billion dollar industry in a weird way making ransomware and then having people pay you in things like Bitcoin that are untraceable. So it's really interesting to look at and, and actually what's really, for better or worse, this has brought forward an issue that I think has been sort of simmering in the background. Uh, the issue of people not updating their systems, the issue of exploits being kind of just out there for anybody to use and well exploit. So, I don't know. It, it's a really interesting case to read over. I would highly recommend reading over a few articles about this whole attack and seeing how it played out, how the payment came forward. But the other two ransomware groups, uh, I don't remember their names off the top of my head, but there were two other ones that actually uh, went dark, as they say. They went more to underground selling rather than public service, per se, mm-hmm. Yeah, which makes sense. Like, you probably don't want the, the heat of the U.S. government on you, right?
1: Right. That would be pretty um, that'd be pretty bad.
0: We'll call it unpleasant to be nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, but everything is back up and running. You don't need to be filling plastic bags with gas anymore. Please don't do that. But a, a really interesting case study of an attack of this scale, because I think... If I had to think about it, I think the only other ransomware that came of scale like this was those hospitals in Europe about two or three years ago. Three years ago now, yeah. Where it was just hospital after hospital was hit by, I think it was... a, It was a not not Pet- Petia. Petia? Am I saying that right?
1: Not sure.
0: I can't remember. But it was just this ransomware that was going through hospital systems, shutting them down without issue because they were using all these systems with Windows XP on them. Which... You also shouldn't be doing it at this point. Or Windows 7 for the matter.
1: I mean, so, there's also WannaCry.
0: WannaCry. That's the other big one.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, th- these are big attacks, and I do feel like they need to be brought forward more so that people are more knowledgeable about them and more aware of what can happen. I mean, imagine if this affected something like the medical system. Like, imagine if the entirety of the medical system was... Or even, even... Actually, let's not even say the entirety. Let's say the entire East Coast medical system was shut down by an attack like this. Mm -hmm. That would be insane. But everything is safe now. Well, I say everything is safe. Everything that we know of about is safe. And the FBI has said that all the issues are solved and all that. So for now, anyways, this whole crisis is over. So don't, again, don't put gas on plastic bags. That's not a good idea. But I think with that, let's move to a... Let's move to a more cheerful topic. Hey, Google I.O. 2021 is here in two days from when we're recording on May 18th. All right. So, Patrick. Mm -hmm. Some of the big headline features of Google, of Android 12, are that it's going to be, it's going to, first of all, it's going to include privacy labels in the Play Store. And, of course, the slew of new features that Google is going to include, including new privacy controls. Yeah. As a person who uses Android, what do you think of that? And do you believe in it?
1: No, it's laughable. There's no way. I mean, we've already seen this happen before, where they say that they won't track you, and then they end up tracking you anyways. I don't think anything's going to change. Even if you turn off all the privacy settings and stuff, you're just going to end up with... Google doing what Google does,
0: you know, <laughs> making, taking your data and all that. It's true. I mean, what's really interesting. Uh, I don't know how many of you actually, I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast yet, but Google is actually developing a, they call it a sandboxing technology known as Google flock. So, uh, Patrick, have you heard about Google flock? before? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, you're going to love this one. So, Google Flock is going to be a feature in Chrome browsers uh, even and also included inside of Chromium as well. I should include that. In the source code of Chrome, Chromium, they're going to include Google Flock. Now, what Flock means is Federated Learning of Cohorts. That's the full title. And it's going to block third-party cookies now. There's going to be no more third-party cookies anymore across the whole Internet if Google gets its way. hmm and instead, Google, the flock, what Flock is going to do is it's going to take you and put you in a group of people of like 10,000 or 100,000 or whatever amount it is every week. So let's say you're, for some reason, you know, you're looking at cars. You've been on a car trend. You're like, man, I'm really looking at all these new brand new cars. It'll put you in a group of people that are all car people. And then for that week, you're going to get advertisements about cars.
1: Hmm.
0: Now... Do you see any issues with this straight off the bat?
1: I mean, other than the fact that it's still tracking you?
0: Well, Google's whole model is advertising. Yeah. The issue I actually found with this... So, okay. Uh, Patrick and I actually had kind of this conversation a little bit the other day. You have two options in this world of advertising at the moment. You can either be tracked by one or two companies, Google slash Facebook pick your choice or both in this case, or you can be tracked by about like 50 different smaller companies, probably half of which are also owned by Google or Facebook. What's really interesting about something like Google Flock, uh, it blocks third-party cookies. Now, if you don't know what cookies are, cookies are sort of these little pieces of information that follow you around the internet, sometimes for good things like login, if you uh, you you don't want to have to sign into a webpage every time you leave it third-party cookies are great for that. Other times they're used pretty maliciously. Oh, I I shouldn't say maliciously. They're used pretty shady, where they kind of track you around the internet. Like a Google cookie, for example, tracks you on all the websites you go to, or a Facebook cookie tracks you on all the websites you go to, and they know where you've been, what you've done, what to advertise to you next. Here's where I take issue with Google Flock. It's actually not so much the tracking issue. Now, to be very clear, I'm not for Google tracking. But I do acknowledge a lot of the services we get for free, not only from Google, but a lot of other companies come from the fact that tracking allows them to give it to us without a, I guess, a a physical monetary value, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I actually take issue with the fact that Google Flock seems to be working to kill all other advertisers outside of Google. That's actually where I take issue with it. I'm curious about your thoughts on that, uh, Patrick. I mean, yeah, that is an
1: issue. I didn't think about, but I mean, it's also kind of inevitable. Just with the way that Google expands and all that, it's. I'm not. I'm not exactly opposed to it because it's going to happen regardless. I think that either Google is going to do this blocking thing and kill off third-party cookies. Or um, Google's just gonna buy everyone out eventually for advertising purposes.
0: So, I'm curious, are you more comfortable with a company like Google being the only company that's tracking you and all their subsidiaries, of course, or are you more comfortable with like, let's say, a hundred different companies tracking you? Out of, just out of curiosity. Oh yeah, no,
1: it's one company would probably be better, less likelihood of your data getting leaked. Because um, it's one company, and if they know they're the one company that has all the data, they should be taking precautions against getting
0: breached. Right. And I mean, especially Google, who tends to be at the forefront of security as well. Yeah, Not privacy. Very different things, but... Yeah, I, I actually agree with your sentiment mostly there. I... I would rather trust Google. What's funny is I, I would trust Google over Facebook more or less because I think Facebook's reputation has become so bad with the amount of data breaches they've had. It's just not even funny at yeah. this point. But so that's a really interesting thing we're going to see from Android 12 is more quote unquote privacy focused features. I don't. I, I Okay. I'm gonna be honest. I kind of wish Google would just say we're tracking you, but in return, we give you free services. I, yeah. I would actually be 100% okay if they were more transparent yeah, Exactly. But they tend not to be, and then they put all these buttons that say, oh, you can be more private if you turn this on. It's like, okay. But I think that's sort of the, the price we're all paying for something like Google Search to exist and be as good as it is without us having to pay for it, in a sense. Yeah. So... I don't know, and also Android. I mean, Android's huge. I don't think any of us would want to actually... Well, I guess you technically do have to pay for an Android license, but that's for, like, Google Play stuff. That That's true, I guess. But you still are paying for it. So,
1: yeah. but that's more of a developer cost. So it doesn't really affect the end consumer too much.
0: Right. I mean, it's a thought process Yeah, that anyways. is a thought process. So the other thing that we've seen that I think Google IO might at least hint at, if not outright give us, is the Google Pixel 6. Alright. Now I'm gonna be straight, I actually like Google's line of phones. I like the Pixel line as an idea. Their execution is a little let's call it iffy to be nice. For the but the la- I mean the Pixel 5 and 4a were pretty good phones. Like just off the basis of what they had, what they are what they were they're pretty good phones but they're that's kind of it they're just good phones i mean when you're fighting against someone like a samsung apple even huawei for the matter you have to be more than a good phone is the problem with the pixel line so the google pixel 6 has been leaked uh at least a little bit we've seen renders uh john prosser our twitter weaker of apple and google things has created a concept with an artist of what it's supposed to look like that camera bumps looking a little interesting i gotta be honest i okay i actually like the look of the google pixel here but i also understand it is possibly the least practical camera setup they could have done like uh, patrick have you seen have you seen this pixel 6 no. uh, render Look this up right now. Just look up Pixel 6 Render. It's an interesting looker. It kind of has a curved back, so look for, like, a curved camera bump.
1: Okay. Oh, with the uh, bar? Yep. I mean, what are your thoughts? Just... (laughs) Uh, I mean, I don't see a point at all. Like, what is the point of,
2: what's the point of putting a horizontal
1: bump?
0: So, according to the leaks that we have in the rumors, it's supposed to have three cameras. So I guess all three would be situated on that, uh, that hump. But that's so inefficient, because they're also going to be in different horizontal positions for the most part, rather
1: than being in generally the same location.
0: Yeah, I, I'm I'm in agreement with you on that one. I don't fully. I mean, it's a, it looks cool. I I'll I'll give them that. It looks kind of cool. But from a practical standpoint, for a device you're supposed to be using every day to take pictures and use as a phone, I don't know about that one. To be honest, I'm and then a also more that reduces
1: that the amount you can repair it by like significantly, just because it's going to be a pain to open a thing. I mean, assuming that the back is glass. And yeah,
0: I mean Google. Yeah, I was gonna say Google Pixel phones haven't uh didn't use glass last year though.
1: Yeah, so if it decides to go for a glass look, then um, yeah, no, I don't think you'll be able to get your phone repaired very easily. I think. I think people hate working on them, but um, if it's plastic and it's easy to remove the back, I'm very curious as to how they get around the um, the fact that there's the camera there. And how that's secured to the phone.
0: I didn't even think about the repairability aspect because we're so far into this world of you must bring your device into the manufacturer I, to get repaired. That it's. I just... mean, that's
1: mainly just Apple at this point. Most of the other phones are pretty...
0: Samsung plays pretty though.
1: fair. It's like, they don't... They play fair compared to Apple. Like, they're still a pain in the ass to open, but like... They play fair. Apple Apple will just straight up be like, yeah, we're not going to boot because you put a new screen in or something. I think, I think, yeah, the 13s had the whole camera thing where it just destroyed your cameras even if you used an OEM replacement.
0: Yeah, the... Well, the most recent one, the oh, 12s. Maybe it was the 12. Yeah. They have a few interesting... Yeah, but the the... What they did with the 12s. So the screens are hardwired to the phone now. The batteries are hardwired to the phone. I think they were thinking about doing it to the cameras. And then I don't actually know if that ever went through. So. And it, like things like Face ID you just can't replace. Yeah. Um I mean that's. Yeah that is Apple. I, I will be fair to say, Samsung. They do at least sell the parts. If you know how to repair it yourself. But. They do recommend that you go to one of their repair shops, and if you don't, then uh, you might. They, I, I don't know. Do they, do they um, void your warranty type thing? Is like, is that a thing that Samsung actually does? I don't. I mean, it probably does. Yeah,
1: it probably does. But also, like, if you, it, in the whole scheme of repairing things, if you have warranty, why would you open your phone? Just go through manufacturer and get it repaired unless you're like very gung-ho about right to repair and you won't let anyone touch up else touch your phone in which case you know exactly what you're getting into so does warranty doesn't matter to you
0: but when you look at something like manufacturer warranty that doesn't cover that doesn't cover damage from like wear and tear like if you drop the phone and the screen cracks manufacturer warranty won't cover that which if you try to then repair it yourself because you know your manufacturer charges insane prices for repairs. I could see why you would try to replace the screen yourself, but then your manufacturer warranty is quote unquote voided if you do it that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think some ways the manufacturer might not be able to tell i don't think I don't think it's as explicit as it used to be, like with older consoles and stuff where they had residue left on the. Uh, When you remove stickers to get to screws. I don't think it's that explicit anymore. So I'm not sure if there are markers other than that. They might be able to tell. The water marker. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they have the water markers. I don't know. Within a phone, I don't think they have those stickers that say voided if removed anymore. Yeah. Well, in phones. Other devices, I I actually do know they do include those stickers once in a while. Um, Like laptops, for example. Or uh if you have like an oem desktop like a dell one they do include those occasionally um yeah right to repair uh that is a whole movement actually uh being led by actually a mac repair shop Uh, guy named by, by the name of lewis rossman if you don't know what that is you should definitely look it up it's a really it's the idea like actually well uh patrick have you heard about right to repair a oh movement. yeah, well, uh yeah. I can
1: probably explain it if you wanted me to oh, go for it, yeah, uh, basically, it's just literally asking for the right to repair your devices, which is already technically a right, but it's never really been enforced, so this is kind of the movement to be to kind of tell manufacturers like, stop making your phones like, especially apple because Apple was I think the worst about it. It's basically saying like, hey, um we should be able to repair our own devices because, I mean, we own them. We're not on a contract with you. So please let us uh, be able to repair our devices without having to jump through, like, ten hoops. Like, yeah, no, it's gotten a little ridiculous with Apple, which is why, again, I think that the movement's targeted at them.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, to be very clear if you are a person that's like, I would rather just pay the manufacturer to repair my device for me, that, that will still be there. The point of right to repair is to allow you to repair it yourself though, without consequence.
1: Yeah. And it's also for, um, uh, repair shops too, because it's not just consumers that are getting by it. It's also repair shops that are independent. And so, uh, them basically Apple, especially implements features that are, very obtuse and require additional specialized equipment to get around specific roadblocks that they put in place. Like screens not working unless you reprogram them and stuff. Um, it, it like just will kill third party repair shops. Yeah. Which is not something that people want.
0: No, we'll, we'll definitely include a link to the whole right to repair movement. I, I do want to, I actually do want to kind of, Segue that into the next part of the Pixel 6 leak, which is kind of interesting and almost in the same vein. Allegedly, the Pixel 6 is supposed to have Google's own SoC in it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about the Apple M1 and kind of how amazing it is that what Apple was able to accomplish with their own chip I can't remember, and we might have gone into it a little bit, but I actually, okay. I'm not against manufacturers having their own chips. I'm kind of also not for it, though. And here's my reasoning. So right now, I think there's basically Intel, AMD, Qualcomm, and then I think MediaTek are all the big chip manufacturers of the world at the moment. Um, There might be a few smaller ones here and there uh but those are i would say the four main ones and then of course you've got the actual wafer makers which are like tsmc and then intel itself is also one as well
2: mm-hmm.
0: oh actually i should say apple is also a chip maker now that's five and theoretically google and microsoft will be joining them soon okay so let's start with some history back in the early 2000s uh patrick do you know what the power book is the apple power book
1: uh, vaguely
0: yeah It was sort of the original MacBook before the MacBook. And it used to run... It didn't actually run on Intel or AMD at the time, which were the big players in that space. It actually ran on its own custom chip made by IBM, Apple, and then uh, I can't remember the third company, but it was a collaboration between three companies, those those two and then a third one, where they actually made their own custom chips in in the PowerPC and a few other computers. So... The advantage of something like PowerPC at the time was it was optimized for their computers and they didn't have to really think about it because it just all it was vertically integrated essentially. Now the bad part about that was the fact that between Intel X86, the same one that AMD used as well, and between the PowerPC's different architecture, which I can't actually remember what it used to run. It might have been x86, but I think it used a different uh rule set known as RISC and I can't remember what X, the current x86 runs on, but basically developers would have to make two different programs for two different platforms. Um, So why did I put this history in? Well, we're sort of going back down that path where every manufacturer is making their own chips now. Look, we have Apple's M1. We've got Intel's x86 process, uh, which AMD also uses. We have Qualcomm's ARM setup, and then we also are potentially going to also have Microsoft and Google's own ARM setups. All right. Now, to be clear, between Apple, Google, and Microsoft, and Qualcomm, they all use ARM technology as their underlying architecture. To be clear, they still develop their own chips. It's a very tedious process for them. It takes a lot of research and development for them to develop their own ARM processors. The M1 is not going to be the same as uh, what Google's currently calling its White Castle chip. That's the internal name. But what is really interesting about this whole thing is that means we're heading down a path where every chip is going to be different. All right. Now, before I sort of say my piece on it and what I think of it, uh, Patrick, just from that sort of history and context what do you think of every manufacturer making their own chip it's gonna
1: be it's gonna be a mess i mean like i'm it probably was already destined to be a mess but it's just confirmed now like unless they can all get up like be running unified software and they all runs the same it's gonna be a complete mess to get things optimized per device you know
0: yeah and I mean, it means that if you're a developer, there's theoretically a world where you are developing for six different architectures, just with the manufacturer I've named here right now. Mm-hmm. That's kind of insane. Uh, like consider this for a second. A developer right now has, to, if you want to be on Windows, macOS, and I, not so much Linux, but let's say iOS and Android, you're developing for four different platforms already that are potentially using four different architectures. Because between Qualcomm and uh, Apple's A series of chips, uh, the Snapdragon versus A series, my bad, you're already developing for two different, not two different architectures, but two different setups of similar architectures. Actually, not even similar. They're two entirely different chips. You're basically developing for two different architectures that have the same foundation. And then if you go to the Windows versus macOS, well, now you're developing for the M1 and whatever Intel slash AMD chip exists in the other side. That's already four different. Well, three, I guess technically three. Yeah, four different platforms you're developing for with potentially four different setups of architecture. That's kind of crazy. And. The more we add on to this, the more it's going to get more and more confusing. And as a consumer... Okay, the one advantage of having Intel and AMD be the only manufacturers of computers in the entire space... Like, Intel and AMD are bad at marketing to consumers. Actually, I shouldn't say they're bad at marketing. They're great at marketing to consumers. Bad at delivering information that actually matters to consumers because, you know, bigger numbers sound better. Whether it's true or not, Mm -hmm. be damned to the win. But at least the marketing was consistent like you knew what you're getting into with a certain marketing tactic because amd and intel shared tactics because same chip same foundation you know sort of that thing we're now at the point now where apple reasonably i i can't even deny apple can actually say the m1 chip is faster than an intel or amd chip uh, in a lot of cases, not all cases. Things like the Xeon processor lineup from Intel, or like i9 or i7, or AMD's Threadripper, or their high-end um, Ryzen series, Apple chip can't stand to those. They can reasonably say they're faster though. And but the problem here's the thing: the M1 is an ARM-based chip, not x86, which means it actually doesn't run the same way that a x86 chip does. And now it's a mess, as, as Patrick was saying. It is literally going to become a mess and marketing is not gonna help it. That, that's sort of the thing. I mean, even in the next generation, Intel is planning to release x86 with big, a big little setup, which basically means similar to how an ARM chip is set up right now, big little, which means four low power, four high power. Intel's planning to do the same with their next set of chips, which means the market is gonna get even more messy. So again, I'm not against more competition. I'm actually I'm actually happy Apple made the M1 just for the sense of it puts a lot of pressure on not just Qualcomm, they're probably their chief competitor in the mobile space, but also Intel and AMD, who Intel has been making I'm not going to say they're shoddy chips, but they're not great to what they could be doing. I'm glad Apple put pressure on them for that. I am less of a fan of there's going to be a point in time where every manufacturer is making their own chips. And if you want to run a certain piece of software, well, you better go down the rabbit hole and figure out which chips will run it well and which chips won't, and which chips won't even run it at all. That's crazy.
2: But I don't know.
0: It's just something I wanted to throw out there as brain food to think about. Let's move on to, I don't really know what's happening at Microsoft Build, so we'll move on to cryptocurrency actually. Uh, Patrick, this is more your forte. Do you want to say what happened with Bitcoin and, I guess, also Dogecoin? Oh, well,
1: it's not really my forte, but I just, I just saw on my social media tabs that um, both of those just tanked. Like, they just tanked really hard. Not uh, Doge more than Bitcoin, but that was also to be expected since Doge is more. You know, closely aligned with Elon Musk, who was on a very regrettable episode of s n l where I think he made like one or two jokes about crypto as a sort of endorsement of it, which is what people were expecting he was gonna do about it, but um, anyways, you know, so after the s n l episode came out, Doge tanked Bitcoin also tanked a bit as well, so it's not. The crypto is not doing super well after that. At least those two. I'm pretty positive the other ones that aren't closely related to Elon, such as like Ethereum, uh, they weren't really affected. Just because, again, people were like, oh, it's just Elon misrepresenting us, and so we got to get out because that episode was absolute garbage or whatever.
0: Not really sure. My understanding from the episode he was on... I believe he referred to Dogecoin as a... Like... Basically as a... I think he said a Ponzi scheme. Did he actually? As like an offhand joke. Yeah, so I don't know if he said Ponzi scheme. I actually can't remember what he said. But he referred to it as basically like a scam. Essentially. uh, As an offhand joke. And I think uh, it was taken a little seriously. Um, Which... Again, to be entirely fair... I don't think Elon actually likes Dogecoin... But to be cr- uh, fair to him, I think part of his purpose is to actually get people exposed to cryptocurrency, which, he, I mean, he kind of accomplished that goal, to be entirely honest. I mean, also,
1: though, I think I think Eaglen has invested in Twitch. Let's be real here. He mean, he's talked about it a lot, and a lot of people look up to him as sort of like... The driving force behind the rise of Dogecoin again, since it's existed for a long time. I'm pretty positive it started back in like 2014 or something. It, like around sometime in the 2010s, like early 2010s. Like,
0: it's one of the longer ones, yeah, for sure. Out of the yeah, it friends. was.
1: It came out a little while after Bitcoin. Like, it's pretty old but it tanked really hard in some time over those years to like, where it was like below 10 cents or something.
0: It's, it was super, it was was, like ridiculously cheap. Right. Yeah. And, but now, I mean, if you bought a bunch of it back then and you were just holding it this whole time, you've made, and I'll call it investment and you've made a bunch of money. Um, this is one of those things of, Okay. So, and with Bitcoin, Tesla stopped taking Bitcoin. Oh, right. Because of the environmental impacts. Yeah.
1: That reason just comes off as kind of weird to me. Like, yeah, I get being kind of oblivious to the environmental impact, but at the exact same time, if you think about it for like 20 seconds, as, as it got bigger, more people would be mining. And thus the energy consumption would increase, which would impact the environment. It doesn't take super long to think about that and come to the conclusion of, hmm, maybe we shouldn't allow Bitcoin as a payment service on our website because it's going to harm the environment. Would it... And even then, that argument's kind of meh to me because aren't most farms based on Ethereum? Because, like, they used to be Bitcoin, but I think there was a shift at some point
0: yeah well i th- so a lot of them are still bitcoin but in order to be a bitcoin farm of any sort the amount of like processing power you need is crazy like you can have when i say crazy okay so if you don't know what like a cryptocurrency farm it's basically just a rack of computers with a bunch of gpus in them that their only task is to calculate uh cryptocurrency hashes and then get the cryptocurrency that's all they do and part of the reason bitcoin in particular is a really bad offender especially to the environment uh has been the fact that it has got uh, we are at the point now where there's only a what is it a few million bitcoin left do i have, I have that right i have no clue i i will, yeah something like that Yeah, it's a low amount now compared to what it was. Like, I think the hard limit was something like there's only 21 million Bitcoin and we're at like 19 or 20 million or something like that. And we're at the point now where these hashes are so incredibly hard to actually calculate that it requires just an entire farm dedicated to getting one Bitcoin. So, and that means a massive amount of power consumption. Uh, Now, this can only be done by massive farms, as you can probably tell, uh, so I think what you were talking about, Patrick, is the switch to Ethereum because Ethereum became more of a standard for cryptocurrency mining because it's much easier to mine and it, and the pricing is still not terrible. I think it's like what uh, six hundred or seven hundred for an Ethereum. Yeah, it's not this it's not completely awful,
1: brave.
0: Yeah. So your return on that investment is pretty good, even if you're using a huge amount of power. Now, my understanding with Ethereum is at least with the second version, whenever that arrives, is it should. I'm going to say it should theoretically help with the mining situation where it's much harder to mine with like a mining farm. Um, I haven't done too much research on that, but I would guarantee, I would look that up a little bit, but I, Bitcoin in particular is a really bad offender because there are no caps on how, much, how many graphics cards you can use at once. And graphics cards, if you don't know, are notorious for the amount of power that they drain um, in mining operations. So... What's really interesting about Tesla not taking Bitcoin is I think they were one of the few consumer products that was actually taking Bitcoin as payment, outside of like VPNs and things like that, that are, I would say they're a little bit more, I would say tech enthusiast level rather than consumer. It was one of the few consumer level companies that was taking Bitcoin. And I think them turning it off is probably more of a a marketing thing if I gonna be straight I think Tesla the way that people see them is as environmentally friendly electric cars and all that so I think them turning it off is them saying okay we're still environmentally friendly I I do now I do kind of agree with Patrick I don't actually think them not taking is going to make that big of a difference in terms of actual like how is this going to affect Bitcoin quite frankly at the moment I see Bitcoin as a I still see it as a, it's not really a valid currency. I think it's still too much of a wild, wild west to be valid currency. And Patrick, you can agree with me or disagree with me. For sure. I'm kind
1: of shocked that it has slowly become an accepted currency. Like, I mean, there's always been some of it. Like, it's always been sort of there. Like, I think someone paid for a pizza in Bitcoin, like, back in 2013 or something. And like, so like, obviously you could pay with it. It was just really hard to pay with it. And I think, I think we're going to see more cryptocurrency based payments coming up, even though I'm not exactly excited about it, just because the environmental impact isn't the greatest. I mean, like, I totally get where it's coming from, which is just because, like, Blockchain and stuff, isn't that doesn't that have to require like an always online sort of thing in order to like keep that running or something? Like, I understand that, but there's still the mining part,
0: so yeah. So, theoretically, I think the original idea, and this is one of those things of it's going to require far more digging back in history a little bit, but my understanding is the idea behind. Things like Bitcoin, Bitcoin, let's talk about Bitcoin in particular, because I'm actually not too aware of a lot of the other ones. A lot of the other ones are sort of just, they're either jokes or they're like Ethereum and they are actually are trying to be something. But I think the idea originally behind a lot of these currencies, Bitcoin in particular, was that it could be a decentralized currency that anybody could work to get, and I say work in the sense of you dedicate your computing power to actually getting a Bitcoin. Um, I think that was the initial idea. And it, and it, you know, the creators, which by the way, uh, nobody actually knows who the creators of Bitcoin in particular are, but the idea was to make an untraceable currency that was decentralized, which theoretically meant it was more stable than something like, uh, let's say the US dollar, which while the US dollar is very strong right now because of the US government, there is theoretically a time if the u.s government ever becomes weaker that the u.s dollar loses value that's just the nature of currency the idea behind bitcoin is even if the u.s government for example became weaker and the u.s dollar lost value well a bitcoin still retains value because it doesn't have that let's call it that weakness uh if you will i think that was the original intention the intention being that anybody could also have a bitcoin I think the problem has become though, again, as, the, as you, more and more Bitcoins were released in the wild, the idea was it became harder to hash with, you know, normal means meant that the value would go up and that's how it would be valued a supply and demand thing. Because when you really think about it, there is no value to a Bitcoin. There just isn't. Uh, it, you know, you could argue the same about a, a dollar though. A US dollar or any dollar, any currency you look at actually doesn't, it's just a piece of paper that we've Put value on right the thing with the with bitcoin that's a little bit more interesting is the attached value to a bitcoin is like 45 grand even now which is a lot of money uh for something that isn't even a physical object which is kind of funny but i think the that the initial idea was to have something that's similar to us dollar where it can't be traced like paypal for example or uh you know a credit card can be in the same way and it's also decentralized i think that was the initial idea but we sort of at a certain point the water sort of got muddled when people realized oh if i have more power than everybody else i just get all the bitcoin for myself and then that was problematic um so I I understand why people are angry about it, though. I do get that because of how much damage mining a single Bitcoin now causes the environment, assuming you're creating something like a GPU hmm, farm yeah. to do it. um, I do get that. And I, I appreciate something like Ethereum trying to put a cap on it of some sort that keeps you from just mining infinite Ethereum, for example, with a GPU farm that is really bad for the environment. I, I actually completely understand that and I agree with it. I do think there will be a time cryptocurrency will come out as the standard currency. I think that's inevitable. Now, when that happens is very debatable, honestly speaking. Like, that's just... We don't know when that's going to happen. It's so wild west right now where things like Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, even Facebook's... Libra is actually, interestingly enough, whether you like like, or hate Facebook, arguably probably has the most standard, but it is centralized, which is what cryptocurrency doesn't want to be ideally so yeah i'm not entirely sure um it's just too wild wild west right now i listen i'm not going to tell you not to invest your money if you truly believe in it Mm -hmm. all power to you but at the same time uh i don't think it's ready for prime time yet just to be frank but i think the idea is good so, yeah, that's all I had to say about cryptocurrency, though. I don't know if you wanted uh, to throw anything else out there. Not really, no.
1: I think you covered most
0: of the points I wanted to talk about. Yeah, so cryptocurrency is interesting. Elon Musk is the driving force behind Dogecoin. Yeah. I think that's what we got to the bottom of. Don't, <laughs> don't invest in Dogecoin. <laughs> like, it's honest. not
1: going to be. It's not. It's a pump and dump. <laughs> that's literally what it is. So, like. Don't invest in it unless you're ready to dump.
0: Yeah. So let's move on to a next topic. I don't think we're going to spend that much time on this one, but uh, Bill and Melinda Gates recently filed for divorce. Um, I I'm going to be honest. It's kind of a little sad. I I understand. Well, I can't say I understand. I don't understand. But at the same time, I guess it's one of those things of. You're sad about it, but then I'm trying to think of a set of like, you know, billionaire couples that have actually survived for this long. Twenty seven years is a long time. That's how long they were married for. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like I don't have a huge amount to say about this one, but this is one of those things of it's kind of crazy to see. I guess what we all saw is like this power couple with the Gates Foundation and all that, doing all this, and then all of a sudden getting into a divorce. So, yeah, that's all I had to say about that. Patrick, do you have anything else? Uh, not really. It's a little bit sad to see it go, but, I mean,
1: they're both their own people. So, if it if that's how it is, that's how it is.
0: <laughs> I, I am hopeful the Gates Foundation isn't too badly affected by this, because they actually have done a lot of great stuff in the past few years. Um, oh yeah
1: i don't i don't think that'll be affected they both since they were both really invested in it i think they can put their differences apart to keep working on it yeah or at least i hope so yeah
0: yeah i hope so as well but let's move on to apple versus epic okay the greatest court case of our time we've officially seen the phone line be left open so that every uh Every kid that plays Fortnite can talk about getting Fortnite back on iOS. We've seen uh, actually a game stream platform get kicked off because of this court case uh, by the name of Shadow. And then because Microsoft Documents talked about them. And then they were put back on because they are a full desktop experience, which is an interesting distinction. Uh, did you know this, Patrick? <laughs> hmm? Uh, the app store differentiates between a full desktop experience and gaming platforms but you can also play games on the desktop experience which is Uh an interesting distinction
1: (laughs) that's so weird
0: so you can have a full windows platform running on your iphone for example Mm -hmm. and it can game from that experience like you can open up steam and game on there yeah Okay. But if you but if you have a game library like something like uh Google Stadia or Microsoft's XCloud that mm-hmm. is not an experience that is a gaming catalog which is not allowed on the App Store without each game being on the App Store as a separate purchase. I
1: That's ridiculous. <laughs> oh my gosh. They're like the same gonna... thing.
0: I Shadow was kicked off and then they were put back on because it was a misunderstanding. This is this court case. Um, that happened. And then we re- saw a bunch of internal documents from game companies like Sony, Steam. Uh, apparently Sony charges some percentage to developers to allow crossplay, which is hilarious. Um, and then Roblox actually came up as an issue for Epic Games. So if you don't know what Roblox is, actually Patrick, do you want to explain what Robux is?
1: Um it's just a game platform where you can like Okay, that's pretty you're much wrong my, already. oh <laughs> game platform. As in like you can make your own games on
0: it. So the reason I say you're wrong, Roblox does not refer to themselves as a game. They refer to themselves as an experience. And this has made all the difference of them being on the App Store in the state that they are.
1: That's that's ridiculous. Okay, just straight up, that is absolutely ridiculous. Dude. All
0: right, let me let me explain. So, back in 2014, there was apparently an internal conversation at Apple about Roblox, uh, also spelled Robo because, uh, executives don't no robloxes which to be fair to them I can't blame them but back in 2014 Roblox was brought up as an issue because Roblox was actually they were circumventing app store payment processing but the distinction when it was brought up to Roblox is Roblox said that they were an experience platform. They were not a gaming platform, which Apple actually defines differently. That, that, that example is Shadow earlier. You can buy games on Steam through Shadow, and because it's an experience, it's different from a game, apparently. Now, why does Roblox qualify as an experience when we, Patrick and I would both consider it a game? Here's the interesting thing about Roblox. Um, you can build things in Roblox. And you can build... Almost like social media. And like you can build... like okay, My understanding with Roblox... Because I, I actually have not myself played the game extensively enough to understand it that well. And I don't think Patrick has either. Yeah. But my understanding of why it's considered an experience and not a game... Is because you can build... Almost anything you want in Roblox. It doesn't actually have to be a game. It can actually be a quote unquote social media platform where players can meet up in the game, but it's not a game because it's like social media. So (laughs) that's the distinction that seems to have been made about the difference between an experience and a game. An experience can inherently be anything within a platform whereas a game is only a game seems to be the distinction that apple is making there and if you think i'm crazy for saying it's not a game if you go to roblox.com and you look up the and you look at their front page it actually never references roblox as a game and, it, and the whole website, they've changed the wording. It is no longer game. It is experience on the whole platform as of like last week. <laughs> so I corrected you earlier for calling it a game because Roblox does not refer to themselves as a game. And it seems like Apple agrees with them. I mean, okay, here's the thing though.
1: Are you completely sure that they aren't just saying that so they can be put on the app store? And Apple isn't looking into it at all
0: but, but that's, that's the thing the... this was back in 2014 that they they made this change yeah last week they changed all the wording but it, apparently this has been what they've been referring to themselves to since 2014
1: but then they only changed the wording recently yes so what you're saying is that internally they said that they were a quote-unquote experience but they branded themselves as a game
0: so, no. Uh, my understanding is Roblox has always referred to themselves as an experience. Like, to be very clear, they've always referred to themselves as that. But their website made references to them as being able to create games before. And now that seems to be entirely gone off the website. Hmm. If that makes sense. So, I, I mean, I'm going to be straight. I still consider Roblox more of a game. I... <sighs> The thing is though, and again, not being very, uh, I'm not very experienced with what you can do with Roblox. It does seem like from what I've been able to find from different articles reading through it, that they actually seem to reference it as also not a game depending on what you do with it. And this is sort of the weird like line we've reached. <laughs> We're asking what is a game? <laughs> I I mean, okay. What are your thoughts on Roblox being an experience, though?
1: <laughs> I can see what they're trying to say, but it's not exactly true, because it's not. It's not actually a social focused platform. There's definitely more games than actual social experiences, from my understanding. Like, a lot of people don't go on Roblox, but socialize. Like, that's kind of weird. I,
2: okay. I I. Hmm.
1: Because, like, see, I'm thinking of it like VRChat. VRChat is an experience sure. because it is literally just social. It's a, literally just a social platform. There are games on there, sure, but the majority of the stuff on there is talking to other people and building experiences for that rather than making games
0: but what differentiates that from roblox then? i think it's the amount of games but is that what defines a game though
1: i would say so yeah i mean if you have more games and you have social platforms it's a game versus having more social platforms than games right it's the maturity thing here even though it's a mix
0: So that's the, so that's sort of the tough part though, because you could also argue though, when you go on a platform, actually such as Roblox, uh, a lot of parents won't let their, their children have phones or uh, Skype or discord or whatever, because they don't want them to, you know, uh, they want them to be safe online, but parents will allow their kids to have Roblox and allow them to communicate with their friends on Roblox. So doesn't that make it in a way a form of like uh ex- like an experience at that point where it could be a social media for a kid whose only path on the internet to communicate with their friends is through this quote unquote experience or game or whatever you wanna I call mean, it? I
1: mean you couldn't argue that for literally any game at that point then. And I mean, like, wow, World of Warcraft is an excellent example of that. It's a game, but you do a lot of social interaction on there. And it is, you could consider it a social platform, in which case is wow an experience
0: that we pay monthly for?
1: Or is it a game?
0: But, but I think the difference is, I don't think, I think the distinction is with World of Warcraft, there is a core gameplay to it, Right. Like, 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 if you look at something like Roblox, I don't actually think the core of Roblox is game. I think it's building a map that could be a game, uh, more similar to Minecraft in that way. But I, even with Minecraft, there is sort of an end goal. There is a, I, There is a game in there, there's a goal. I don't think Roblox has that same idea behind it. And I think that's where they can make the distinction. I do agree with you. There are more games than there are not games, to be entirely clear yeah but then you know what do we base it on do we base it on that the core experience could not be gaming and that's what makes it a game or not a game i don't know i guess that makes sense yeah i I honestly don't know this is one of the things apple seems to distinguish that as the differentiator epic games with fortnite is a game even though what you said is technically true you can also socialize on Fortnite. But I think the core experience of Fortnite is the gameplay with friends. Whereas Roblox, you build a social media, everyone meet up here in Roblox type thing. It's not a game at that point. It's more of social media. But then like, where does that distinguishment end? I don't know. And that's tough. Um, and this is such a complex case that has brought up so many questions about this whole industry as, as, a, as a whole. Um, but it's really interesting, nonetheless, to really think about these things. What does decipher the difference between a game? I mean, is an Apple is sort of the arbitrator here that says what is a game and what is not a game? Which, query if that's an issue or not. That only Apple has that say. I don't know. Um. So, I think. All right, we technically have one more topic of the day. Patrick, do you want to go into Facebook and Twitter? Basically telling iOS users, if you don't turn on ad tracking, we're going to make this app not free. Or, are you feeling good with Roblox?
1: Let's touch on it, because I think it's important. Okay. But, if we get into an actual conversation about this podcast, we'll go on for another 30 minutes. Which, we don't really have time for. So, yeah, let's just briefly touch on it. Which is just to say that um, iOS implemented something to where... If an app is taking your data, you they have to tell you, and you have to agree to let them take the data, right? And Yes, and also allow tracking yeah.
0: across other apps is the big part.
1: Oh, that too, yes. And so um, since that was implemented, I guess a lot of people are like, oh, you're taking our data? No, you can't do that. And so now companies are kind of scrambling, like, how do we get money? So Twitter's already coming up with something, which is Twitter Bloom which is like, I guess, premium Twitter. I know you can unsend a tweet, apparently, if you <laughs> have it. a
0: feature.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it, rather than deleting it, you can unsend it within the first, like, minute or half hour of sending it or something. And so, but with that coming about, do you legitimately think Facebook will put something in similar? Because I know those two companies have apparently been hit the hardest by it.
0: All right, I'm going to ask you, before I answer that question, let me ask you one question. How many iOS users that have updated to 14.5 do you think clicked allow tracking? I'm curious what you think is the percentage.
1: It's probably going to be about 60. I'd say about 60% or higher.
0: 60 for allowing tracking or not allowing tracking? For allowing. For allowing, really?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people who aren't very privacy-minded are not very privacy minded We'll just assume that is making the app experience better. And so they might allow it rather than the very conventional, if you don't need it to run, do not let your app access it, such as like not letting it access your contacts, not letting it access your phone number. These are very easy things that you can say no to in order to prevent apps from taking your personal data. But I think a lot of people who aren't really well versed in technology will be like, Oh, but they're going to use it for something and so it'll make the app experience better, right? Even if it right. doesn't do that at all.
0: I'm going to say um you're horribly off <laughs> like by <laughs> So, from analytics alone, the total amount of users that have allowed tracking is 4%. Really? 96% said no. Well, that's really good to hear. <laughs> so okay to come back around to your question though i okay twitter blue makes sense i actually twitter's not even profitable right now i'm not entirely sure what took them so long to just allow you to axe ads by paying per month i'm gonna be straight there Facebook is an interesting question. Do I think they're going to go the route of eventually making you pay for their apps? On iOS specifically, I should specify that. I Android is still going to leave it open. I think even when Android 12 comes around, it'll still be open. But for iOS specifically, I actually can't foresee Facebook charging for it. At, at least not for the core features. I think core Facebook will always be free. But I do think they'll start charging for other features. Like, imagine, okay, this is not crazy crazy thing, about imagine if Facebook Messenger, for example, you could only access certain features if you started paying for Facebook on iOS. Like, in order to access, like, I don't know, uh, s- sticker chat, or in order to allow animated GIFs or web links in Facebook Messenger, you had to pay for it. Mm-hmm i can actually see them going that route i don't think core facebook will ever be paid for though like you know your news feed and friending people i don't think that's ever going to be a paid for experience i do think they could change other aspects to be paid though if that makes sense um yeah i don't know honestly like uh, facebook is introducing podcasts soon too allegedly within the app that's a thing that's been in the rumors they could charge for that i could see it but, like, I don't think the core Facebook experience will ever be paid for because I don't think people would pay for that. Well, maybe maybe they would. I don't know. I, I don't personally use Facebook that much. I don't think you do either. But I do not foresee them ever making the core Facebook experience a paid-for experience, even on iOS, where they might lose a ton of money. Yeah, no, I don't
1: think that's do that. Because, that. I mean, they do make money through advertising as well, even if it is untargeted, right?
0: Yeah, oh, uh, uh, much less. It's a significant difference, but they still make a little bit. Yeah, so, I mean,
1: I think they'll take that over making it a paid app. I can definitely see them trying to limit what you can or cannot do and then charge for the rest, but I think they'll be blocking out stuff that isn't very core. So, like, although they do do some weird things that I'm not exactly a fan of, such as like if you have less than 15 friends on Facebook, you can't scroll past a certain number of posts. It'll just Wait, straight up really? say you... Yeah. I I don't have over 15, so if I, sometimes I'm like mindlessly scrolling through my feed because I am only subscribed to uh, for sale groups, um, it'll block me off after a certain point and say you can't scroll any further add x amount of friends and so you can see more
0: oh i had no idea that was actually a thing they do yeah so because of that
1: i am kind of like you know i can i can see them doing something that's like that for and then force you to pay i can kind of see them do that because i mean the whole point of getting you to have more friends is so they can have more data on you right and know kind of like right I mean, they're already collecting data like, oh, you looked at these posts on Facebook Marketplace or, oh, you look, you looked at these videos or whatever, right? They're
0: collecting some. You're browsing the web here. Yeah. But
1: with the friends, they get more detailed information and they can probably figure out more about you based off of where your friends are, where they were, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah.
2: I,
0: I can see them doing
1: stuff like that.
0: i I, you know as we said two weeks ago this is this is going to ios 14.5 while it may not seem like it's that big of a change because ios users are such a small part of the market i do see it actually as a pretty a pretty game-changing thing and if facebook ever starts charging for features or actually not even just facebook even if google starts charging for features which they already kind of are um i mean Paying for Google Photos is going to be a thing this July. That's crazy to think about. But it's kind of the wor- the route we're going down. I mean, I'm personally okay with having to pay for things if it means a little bit more, you know, uh, it means that our information is a little bit more private. But that also may mean we have to start paying for things that... I think all of us considered free at a certain point right Mm -hmm. but with that uh that kind of gloomy thought hanging overhead we will go ahead and wrap up this week's episode this is a bit of a longer one but i think it was a fun one right yeah Yeah. it was fun so follow us on your podcast platform of choice whether it be apple Podcasts, where they've reset all your episodes to unplayed because uh, that's just how apple rolls i guess they want you to re- listen to all the episodes again. You should do that. I agree with Apple on that end. Listen to all of our episodes again. Um, like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, all the platforms. And we will be releasing an episode every two weeks. So, yay. But with that, uh, I don't have anything else. Patrick, got anything else? Oh. Alright, so we're almost, and if you're in the U.S., get your vaccination. That's a thing that's open for anyone at above the age of 12, so go do that. And, but in the meantime, wear a mask. Yep. And we will see you guys in two weeks. Yeah. Bye. See
1: ya.
2: Welcome.